Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. We're going to be in John chapter 3 tonight. John chapter 3. And um, I was thinking through, you know, uh, this week, uh, we're getting closer to, I mean, Palm Sunday is Sunday, and then Easter is the following Sunday. And so we're in that kind of spring in the mode of thinking about Easter. And the reality is, is that, you know, every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time we gather together, we really are celebrating the resurrection the hope that we have in Christ, the redemption. We're, every time we do that, it is true, because that's, that's why we can gather in the first place, you know, because of the hope that is in us, because of the, those things. Uh, but, you know, once a year, we get, we get the holiday called Easter. We get Resurrection Sunday. We get a day that's set aside where we really can think about and remember and focus on what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us, the salvation that we have, the reconciliation to God, and all those things that come with it. And so it's really kind of a special time of year. Um, and I think about that a lot. So, you know, John chapter three really has not only one of the greatest verses about salvation in it that we could probably all quote right now from memory without even looking, uh, but it also, the whole chapter really uh, is about that, about the new birth, about what Jesus is saying, about how salvation is achieved and how salvation would come to the world. Uh, and I think about that a lot during this time. When I, Easter was, was always a fun time growing up, too, because my, my parents would always get me, you know, candy. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Easter baskets and things. Or you did that for your kids, maybe. Uh, and we would, we would get, you know, kites and little squirt guns and silly putty. We never, you know, you didn't get, like, big stuff like you got at Christmas necessarily. But you always look forward to that day, you know, or you get to, how many of you ever dyed the eggs? Did you get the eggs and you dye the eggs? If, you, if you're going to get eggs today and dye them, you almost have to take out a second mortgage, I think. But, uh, but, you know, you get the little kit, and they're red and green and pink and all, and you go and hide them. And the one that you don't find when you have a dozen eggs in the yard and then you bring them back 11, you'll find it eventually, right? It'll, you'll know where that one is eventually. But anyway, it was always a good time growing up. But, but Easter is a very special meaning in the sense that it is when we especially set aside to think about uh, the death of Christ, the resurrection the reconciliation, the redemption that we have in him. And so John chapter 3 really spells that out uh, for us here. And I will go ahead and read verses 1 through 21 and look at it together tonight. There is a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, You must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell when it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born the Spirit. 
Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up into heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, and he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation. The light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Let's pray. God, we just ask one more time here, Lord, today that you would just help and guide as we go into your word now, Lord. Uh, may your word be preached clearly. And give me the words to say, God, help our hearts to be meditated on you and to hear from your spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. So we have this text. It's a pretty familiar text to us uh, all. And uh, here's, here's Nicodemus, right? Here's Nicodemus. He's a Pharisee. He's in the Sanhedrin. He's a teacher. He's a ruler of the Jews, meaning he's in the Sanhedrin. And he just doesn't seem to understand all these things that's going on. But he does come and give some affirmation. He says a couple of things to Jesus that are important, but he doesn't go quite far enough. Look, look, look again in your Bibles. It says that he, he said, you're, he's a rabbi. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. You come from God. No one can do these things except God is with him. So there's some affirmations that Nicodemus makes, first of all. Nicodemus affirmations. You are a teacher. The Pharisees were very strict in following the law. I kind of think we've probably talked a little bit more about that lately because of the Sermon on the Mount series that some of you are going on, uh, either in ladies' Bible study or Sunday night or both. Uh, but uh, strict following of the law and, and adding to the original meaning and intention of the law, an outward show of holiness. But he's also a person who had daily access to scriptures. So it's really like all, that's why Jesus asked this question so many times in here, because he should know. He should know these things. And he recognized, notice that too in, in verses 1 and 2. He recognized, and he said we, probably for a couple of reasons, that, that there is some truth to what's going on with Jesus. He's at least acknowledging a little bit that it's going on is true, because he says, hey, you, you, you couldn't do these things if God wasn't with you. And you're a rabbi, and you're a teacher come from God. So he's giving a little bit of things there, sort of a, a, an, an acknowledgement. And rabbi is a very important term that they would use back then. It was reserved for people that, like today, would have the same level as a Ph.D. in whatever, like the highest level of education you can get, a Ph.D. or whatever, in your field. That's, that's what rabbi is. You wouldn't be called that unless you were in that, that sort of area. So he's giving him all these accolades. He's affirming these things are true. He's a good man. He's, got a, he's a moral teacher. He's doing all these things. But he doesn't go far enough. And that's one of Nicodemus's main problems. Nicodemus probably as well had heard, and you could read too, uh, back in chapter 2. We won't do it right now. But uh, in verses 15 through 19, that's where Jesus comes into the temple and turns over the table of, of the money changers. Okay? Uh, in John chapter 2. 
And, and, and maybe for Nicodemus, this is what a Messiah should act like. Because they were looking for a political leader. They, were, they weren't looking for the way Jesus came the first time. They were looking for an entirely different kind of Messiah. So that action of Jesus thrusting the money changers out of the temple, this guy, he's, he's what we're looking for, perhaps. But it's that we. See, I don't think Nicodemus right now in chapter 3 was ready to commit himself completely to Jesus. He's staying there. He's coming at night. He's saying we. It's interesting, too, because, you know, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin were the people that, he had the mo- that Jesus had the most interactions with. But they're willing to admit, at least privately, hey, we know there's something going on here. We can't deny it. And so with all these things going on, it may feel as though Jesus' answer in verse 3 was a little bit abrupt. Because he just plainly says, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He doesn't take time to return any kind of compliments. I mean, Nicodemus gave some, but Jesus didn't take any time to do that, didn't take any time to make a big show. He just said, you've got to be born again if you want to see the kingdom of heaven. So wealth, status, physical birth, those kind of things don't have anything to do with salvation. But it also shows this, no matter how good, according to the standards that he would have had, this man was, he was still hopeless if he was apart from Christ. And that's very important because we have to acknowledge, yes, we have to acknowledge our sin. It's impossible to be saved apart from the Spirit. We have to acknowledge our sin, but we also have to acknowledge who Jesus is, that he is the Savior, and understand that. Because a lot of people will tell you that there's something wrong, but they're looking for salvation in something other than Jesus. They're looking for hope somewhere else. They're looking for something other than Jesus. So you have to know that, yes, there's something wrong, and there's something wrong with you, but that Jesus is the Savior. He's the Messiah. And there's a lot of people in the world today that are in the same place as Nicodemus, willing to know that Jesus is a good moral teacher, but they fail to see the significance of who Jesus really is. So he's coming to him at night. And then Jesus says, you have to be born again to see the kingdom of heaven and Nicodemus asked a question that maybe at first glance might seem a little bit silly. <clears throat> Excuse me. How how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? But it was a sincere question. It was very very sincere on his part. I f- Nicodemus is probably thinking about some kind of work that he has to do because he's got a very works based religion and framework that he's coming from. What is the work that I have to do? You're calling it being born again, okay? But notice he didn't ask why. He didn't say, Jesus, why do I have to be born again? He said, how? Because I think he understood that it was a true statement. You have to be born again. There's got to be something. He's, he's questioning Jesus partially, too, because I think he's got some real questions. He's, he, the Spirit is drawing him. Maybe he was in a better standing position because of, because of who he was. But I think Nicodemus at this time is trusting in his own works to save him. So in works of righteousness, you know, we talked about this Sunday night, and we may have mentioned other times, but in Philippians chapter 3, Paul has a huge list of works that he's done. You know, he's done all these things. He was a Pharisee, and where he was born, and all these things that he was counting on for his salvation, Nicodemus probably had a similar list in his mind of all the things that made him right before God. But that's not what makes us right before God. That's not what it is. It really kind of goes back to Adam and Eve, if you think about it for a minute, back into the garden of Adam when they were there and they sinned. The very first thing they did when they understood their guilt and their shame 
They understood those things. What did they do? They took fig leaves and they made clothing for themselves. And they hid themselves from God when he came down. But it wasn't good enough because what did God end up doing? Taking a lamb and sacrificing it and clothing them in his work of righteousness. Okay? And that's what, that's what happens for us today still. We, people try to, to work their own works of righteousness. They try to trust in things other than Jesus Christ for salvation. But it's not our works of righteousness that cover us. It's the God's work of salvation. Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration, renewing of the Holy Ghost. So being spiritual, doing what's right, being a moral person, the things that Nicodemus was probably trusting in, in his position, is not enough to earn salvation because you can't earn salvation. It's, it's kind of the same thing as a listing our, our own list of self-righteousness when we do that, if, if we do that, trying to cover ourselves in our own fig leaves, so to speak. We have to yield to the Holy Spirit and the convicting power in our lives. Being born again means to be born of the Spirit. That's the new birth. And Nicodemus didn't need more head knowledge. He needed more heart knowledge. And that brings Jesus' reply. Jesus' reply in verses 5 through 8. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Now, this statement has been used a lot by people to sort of justify infant baptism and baptismal regeneration and all kinds of thoughts and, and, and things about baptism in general. But, but in order for us to kind of understand what Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus here, we kind of have to get all of our Western Christian, and I'm using Christian in a very broad sense here, views of baptism out for a minute. Because the way we look at baptism is not necessarily the way that the Jews would have looked at it. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about something that Nicodemus would understand, okay? Uh, because Jesus is not trying to confuse Nicodemus. He's not trying to be mystical or anything like that. Nicodemus asked how. How, how can a man be born again? And Jesus is going to answer his question in a very practical way that he could understand. Recall, too, that the ministry of John the Baptist, which started before Jesus, John the Baptist's call was repent. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when Jesus, when you read, that's in Matthew chapter 3, and then when Jesus comes after the temptation in Matthew chapter 4, his preaching begins with, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And John the Baptist used the same language, really, that he baptized with, the, with water, but there is coming one who would baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is probably trying to make a connection back to what John the Baptist is talking about. Repentance is what's needed and the sign of repentance at that time was John's baptism, trying to get the connection there to Nicodemus. If you don't respond to repentance the right way, you won't be saved. See, the call today is repentance, and there's no, there's no neutral ground there, okay? The answer when, a, when, when that call goes out is either yes or no, and, and ignoring the call of repentance that goes out is like saying no. But that is what it is. It is repentance. Now, I listened to about five or six different preachers <laughs> over the same passage of text kind of in preparation for tonight. And, and I got five or six different things that that would go into a lot deeper, those few verses right there. 
We don't have time to go over to it tonight, so we'll leave it alone. But there's a lot. But I think that what Jesus is trying to do, ultimately, is answer Nicodemus in a way that he would understand with a contemporary of that time period understanding of what it meant to have repentance and what that baptism was and what it looked like. It is a turning, it is a repenting of the old and turning to the new. So when Jesus talks about that which is born of flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, that which is born of flesh is flesh. There's nothing our human bodies can do to earn salvation. And everything that is born uh, the natural way of birth is got the sin curse on it. Every human being has the sin curse on them. And so uh, trying to f- seek salvation through fleshly ways or through our own ways cannot produce the salvation that's needed. It is a spiritual birth. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Think about it this way. I read this story this week about a preacher who was witnessing to uh, a, a doctor that had worked his whole life in delivering babies. And as he was talking about, he was going through the new birth and different things. And one day, going along the line of the new birth, the doctor finally got it. It clicked with him. And he accepted Christ as Savior. And what made the difference was he connected it to a real birth. He said, when those babies are born, they, they don't have a past in the same way that, you know, like I have a past. I'm 41 years old. They don't have a past. They're born right then. When you're born of the Spirit, the past is under the blood of Christ. The Bible tells us we're a new creation. Old things are passed away. That, that past, it's not there. You are a new creation. You are born of the Spirit, and you are changed. The Spirit imparts life. We have the new birth. And when we're born of the Spirit, our nature has changed. And that's what the work of the Spirit is. Just like the wind blows. You know, we're, we're very used to the effects of the wind around here because there's hurricanes, right? And other things. And, and we're, we're used to the effects of the wind. But you can't tell where it's coming from, where it's going. And there's something very interesting, too, to note here. And that is that in the Greek, the word for wind and the word for spirit is the exact same word. So really, in the original language, this would be kind of like a pun, a play on words, so to speak. Okay, the spirit and the wind, they blow wherever they want to go. You don't know. And that's the way, that's the working of it. You see the effects of it. Person responds to salvation. They become a new creation. Their whole life has changed. And you can see the effect of the Spirit working in them. You can see the effect of the Spirit in them. Person that's feeling the conviction of the Spirit knows the effects of the Spirit. But Nicodemus seems to not understand still. Verses 9 and 10, he answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Now, when, when Jesus answers back to Nicodemus here, because he asked the question again, you know, I, I don't understand, how can it be? He, he's, he's actually answering Nicodemus in the same way that Nicodemus first came to him. Master of Israel. It says master of Israel there, but across the page, probably in your Bible, it says rabbi. He uses the exact same word. How are you a rabbi and you don't know these things, Nicodemus? That's what he says. How are you where you are and you don't understand these things? You're a teacher of the Jews. And Jesus isn't going to give Nicodemus a moment to answer. He's going to answer for him. Look at verses 11 to 15. The new birth comes through faith. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen. You receive not our witness. If I told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. 
And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So Jesus' response, we see Jesus' response here. And he's using not only the same word of rabbi, there we just saw, but he's also looking again here, look at, look at uh, verse 11 again. We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen. What did Nicodemus say when he came? We know you're a teacher come from God. And look at Jesus again here in verse 11. Ye receive not our witness. And that ye there again, as Pastor Jason had shared with us very recently, it's, it's y'all, it's plural, it's ye, you all. So he's saying there's the line right there. Nicodemus was on the wrong side of things still, and he didn't understand that. But he uses the exact same language there. We're, we've seen, we know, we testify. Literally those that have seen with their eyes. Jesus is perhaps talking about the disciples and those that are following him already, those that have already begun to believe in him. Jesus had given Nicodemus facts. I've told you earthly things, you believe not. But he couldn't see because he was still stuck on his earthly things. He was still stuck there. What he needed was to put his faith in Jesus. He said very plainly, the evidence that Jesus is the Messiah is right there in front of him. It's working. It's all around him. But you haven't understood. You're stuck on the earthly things. He couldn't understand it. So he he answers again by saying this, that he is the one that ascended up to heaven. He came down from heaven. That's who Jesus is. He came down to earth to give salvation to us. When he arose, he sent it back, into the, back, into, uh, back to the Father again, back to heaven. He knows of both of those things. He is the one that has both ascended and has descended, the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of God, is the only one who could make this claim. He brings salvation through faith in him. So Jesus gives an Old Testament uh, uh, illustration that will help, hopefully, Nicodemus understand. Let's all go there. Go to Numbers, Numbers 21. Numbers chapter 21, and we'll read this account here. Jesus is alluding to this. Nicodemus would, would, would hear this and understand this reference. We, we have heard this uh, in Sunday school and in sermons and things, I'm sure, as well. But in Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9, that's what Jesus is referencing here. Speaking of the Israelites, he says, They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way, and the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Is there no bread, neither is there any water? And our soul loatheth this light bread. So here we have the same thing we see then. The Israelites are in the desert, they're wandering. They don't like what's going on. They're complaining and murmuring. They're complaining against God, complaining against Moses. They don't even like the manna that God's giving them. So the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, verse 6. And they bit the people, and much people died. Therefore, Moses, the people came to Moses and said, We've sinned. We've spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Now here's what happens. The Lord said to Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent. Set it on a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh on it, shall live. And so Moses does just that. It was the lifting up of the serpent, but it was the act of faith. If a person was bitten, all they had to do 
was believe what the word of God was and look to the serpent to receive healing. Now, the serpent was the symbol of evil that became a symbol of healing. And that's what Jesus says here back in our text in John chapter 3. He is going to be lifted up the same as the brass serpent was on a cross, which is the symbol of evil. The symbol of evil in those days. And all those that look to him and believe the word of God will be saved. He takes our sin and shame and guilt and became the only cure. They received healing through placing their faith in the testimony of God and looking to the brass serpent. We receive salvation through looking at the cross, believing the word of God, Jesus Christ as our Savior, and placing our faith in that. That's what Romans 10, 9, and 10 tells us. Jesus was lifted up just as the snake was lifted up and became the only way for salvation. And that's one thing that John emphasizes. I'm going to go through some quickly things. Come back to chapter 3 of John if you're not there already. John 15 and 16, we know that it talks about belief. John 18, John 3, 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. John 3, 36. John 3, 36. This is John the Baptist speaking. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John 5, 24. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. John 6, 40, that ye will not, <clears throat> excuse me, I didn't turn enough pages. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up the last day. John 6, 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And then one more in the book of John, John 20, verse 31, all the way back there. John gives us the reason why he wrote the gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 31, but these are written, what is written? The gospel. That you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So that's a big theme of John, life and belief that results, or salvation that results believing in Jesus Christ. Nicodemus had to do the same thing that we did, that we do, believe the name of Jesus Christ. And that brings us to the last point. The new birth is a gift. One of the greatest verses, John 3.16. We could, we could probably take a month of Sundays and go through just that one verse and still need more time. It's an amazing verse. But it sums up the gospel message so well. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's a, it's a, it's a self-sacrificing love. It is a unique love. This verse shows how God loved the world, that it was demonstrated through the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. You know, in the Old Testament, there were, the people had to come and continually offer sacrifice. And it was a lamb and a goat and, a, and all these different things. Jesus is the sacrifice once for all. When he was given, that was what God gave, his own son. It is self-sacrificing love. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. While we were enemies, while there was nothing desirable about us, God gave us his best, himself in the person of his son. You know, you think about the value of things that are unique. 
Things that are unique are more valuable than things that are common in every day. We place more value on things like that. You may have something special that was given to you, maybe by uh, a relative, you know, your mom. You have something that's been handed down through your family, your mom, your dad. It's very unique. It's irreplaceable. It's very special to you. God's love is unique because he gave himself fully in a love that is unmatched in all the world. His love is the foundation of Jesus' sacrifice. It undergirds our whole Christian life. By grace through faith, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Mercy gives us salvation. Grace continues that work, makes us heirs with Christ. We could go on more about verse 16. Verse 17, For God sent out his Son into the world to condemn the world, that the world through him might be saved. There is a judgment. There's the good news, but there's also the judgment. Now, it starts off that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to judge the world, to condemn the world, but to save it. There's a, there's a very unique term here for sin. It's not like whenever you, I said this in Sunday school the other day, but when you send your kid into the kitchen to get you a Dr. Pepper, right? <laughs> it's not really the same. The idea of being sent here is a, it's a Hebrew sending. The person who goes is like the actual person himself or herself went. They represent the interests of the person completely, as if that person themselves was standing before you. It's a much deeper, a much fuller meaning of sent than just you're sending someone to the grocery store to pick up some eggs or something so you can dye them and hide them in the yard, right? Today, we may use the word proxy. Ricky gave me that one. Maybe someone that has the power of attorney. That might be like a modern-day comparison there. But Jesus comes to do the will of, of, of the Father completely, represents him only, and as if God is here. And God was here. God is here. Jesus is the God-man, the Word made flesh, come to bring redemption to man. But notice the language is changing. We'll start closing with this. Notice the language is changing here. We're moving from life and death in verse 16 to condemned and not condemned in verses 17 and following. There's a bridge here to the rest of the chapter. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. This is a courtroom. The language is changing here. Whoever believes is condemned. This is that's already been passed. The judgment has already been made. Jesus didn't come. I like what John Piper said. Jesus didn't come to a whole group of neutral people that were kind of on the fence, and uh, maybe some will come and follow Jesus, and others will just kind of stay over here. You know, maybe maybe I will, maybe I won't, kind of thing. He didn't come to neutral people. He came to people already condemned to change death, people that were already condemned, to change death to life and condemned to not condemned in what he did on the cross. He didn't come to a neutral He didn't come to neutral people. And so Nicodemus' greatest problem, as Jesus is answering throughout this whole thing here, is pointed out to him, pointed out to us, people are in need of a Savior because they're already condemned. Look back at John 3.36 again. We read it before, but we'll read it one more time. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not... The Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. It's already there. Jesus came 
to change that from death to life, from condemned to not condemned. And he did it through his sacrifice on the cross. He is the light of the world. He brings people from darkness to light. But a lot of people won't come to that because they love their deeds. Nicodemus loved his works-based religion. Other people love their evil deeds. Now, I want to say this real quickly. I think that Nicodemus does get saved eventually. If you go over to John chapter 7, we won't do it, but if you go over to John chapter 7, you see Nicodemus kind of defending Jesus to the Sanhedrin. Then you go to John chapter 19 after, the, after Jesus dies, and Nicodemus is there with Joseph Arimathea anointing the body of Jesus as they take him to the tomb. So I think, I think Jesus, or Nicodemus excuse me, does have a, a change of heart eventually. But this is the thing. There must be a spiritual birth. It comes through believing and through faith in Jesus Christ alone. This new birth is a work of God. Jesus said very plainly at the beginning, you must be born again, and that is placing your faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so that's, our, that's the greatest need. That is the greatest thing. That's what the new birth is. It is coming to faith in Jesus Christ, believing and trusting in him, admitting what we need, and, and uh, uh, accepting him as Savior in complete and total faith that he comes to change that. And that's what he did this time. And I hope that we can say that all of us in here have done that tonight. I hope also, too, that if it, as that being the case, that you're living in the light of the salvation, living in light of that, of that now, and, 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 and joyful, and, and understanding that we're, we're moved from that darkness to light. We're moved from death to life. We're moved from condemned to not, con- to, from not condi- condemned to not condemned. And that we're excited about that we're living in our salvation and telling others about it as well in our new birth, John chapter 3. Let's stand again together here.